Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Welcome to that wonderful day between Wednesday and Friday. I'm always looking forward to having Guy talk on Thursdays, and uh, today is no exception. We've got a power panel in place, so I'm ready to go, and I know they are too. And that means you, the listener, can send me any question you want, and we'll put it on the air. We'll let you know what the phone number is. You know it, maybe, 877-933-2484-877. 933-2484. You can send a text to that number, and we'll get your question on the air. My power panel today is Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish, Pastor Jeps- Justin Jepson, Secret Agent, and Dr. Peter Kapsner. Gentlemen, all welcome. Thank you, Bill. So nice. So nice to have you all here. I was reading uh, Colossians 2.8. Uh, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. That's a powerful verse. I love it. It is a good verse. Part of the danger, what that verse tells me and what I see today going on, is that everything in this world, even in the church without meaning to, is a drift away from Jesus. We keep drifting to other philosophies, better ways of talking to one another, better ways of listening. And I'm all for that. But the danger is ultimately we keep moving further and further away from the Lord Jesus himself. And I've been reviewing a number of books that are very popular right now. I won't give you the name or the authors, but being bought by millions of Christians. And I went through one book the other day from beginning to end, and it's everybody's so excited about it. You know how many times I found the name Jesus in the book? Um, less than three. Uh, you've got that absolutely right. Mm. Virtually none. And no, I'm thinking, terrible. what are we doing? Jesus is the focus, not everything else. But that's what we wind up doing in the devil's delights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that uh, you know that verse when you look at just setting in the context of Colossians two, um, you know, I, I think it's uh, this idea of receiving Christ as Lord, just as you, just as you've received Him in verse six. So walk in Him, rooted and built up and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving and. Right after that, it talks about the deity of Christ, for in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. So I think, you know, what, what's going on here? What's Paul combating? Um, what kind of false teaching is are mm-hmm. uh, the Colossians? And I think it's, you know, on one hand, I think there's a sense of there's always this workspace. To, yeah, maybe you received Jesus, but now you need to, you you got your you got your salvation by grace, but now you got to keep it by works. And I think that's he's combating that, saying, no, just as you've received them by grace, it's by grace we receive, it's by grace that we grow. But then he talks about, right after that, the deity of Christ dwelling in bodily form. And, you know, and all the various different heresies that were um, combating, the Church was combating against in the earliest, in the first couple centuries, either diminished the deity or the humanity of Christ. And so I think, you know, being led captive and astray, it's holding those two things in tension, those essential, essential dual nature of Christ as to God, man, as fully God, fully man. And so I think that's also what Paul is saying. You've got to be weary of any way, any teaching that diminishes both the deity or the humanity of Christ or to be on your guard against any type of works-based righteousness. Good word. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, I would just add uh, just to that too, Justin, a bit that that there were so many heresies in that first century church, but it's it's sort of nothing is new, right, under heaven and earth. And <laughs> and one of those heresies was the idea within the Colossian <laughs> church that they could uh, go ahead and realize sort of what they would have called the divine spark within them that with that through secret and hidden knowledge, uh, they would be able to realize the fullness of their intrinsic divinity. They actually were God. They just sort of had forgotten uh, the people, and so by having the right philosophies and and the right spirituality, they could sort of realize their godlikeness again. And that's not a lot different than uh, that some of what you see when you've got the Oprah Winfrey's and the Rob Bell's and a number of other people who are really suggesting in 21st century America that you just have to realize the fullness of yourself and mm-hmm. uh, and that they do even talk about that inner or divine spark. And so some of these heresies have, have persisted for some 2,000 years. And, and in that case, it does, as you said, diminish the deity of Jesus, where more or less Jesus became somebody who becomes a model for what we also can become if we follow him. So it, it's not a lean into trust, surrender your life to Jesus, and he brings you to fullness. It is you can become full yourself in the same way that Jesus was full in his bodily form. Peter, may I quote Oprah? Please. I was watching (laughs) Oprah years ago, and she said, quote, and remember, she used to push this Eckhart Tolle book, and she, she claims to be a Christian, but she's thoroughly into the New Age movement, and she said this, quote, because she was raised Baptist. She said, I used to believe that Jesus came to earth to die for our sins. Now I believe he came to earth to get us in touch with our own inner Christ consciousness. In other words, we're all God, like Jesus was yep. God. We just need to get in touch with it. And I think that's kind of, you know, the the uh, the heresy all along. The devil says you'll become as God to Adam and Eve. And mm-hmm. the belief that, you know, Christianity is here to make you God or get you in touch with your inner godness. And I will never be God, and you will never be God. In heaven, we don't become a God like Mormons teach. We are uh, creatures till we're in heaven, and even then, we'll never be God. Let me give one more illustration, mm-hmm. if I may. Back during the Vietnam War, now I'll tell you how old I am. Back during the Vietnam War in college, I was recruited by the Airborne Rangers to be a sniper in Vietnam. I was in an ROTC, and for whatever reason, I was an exceptional shooter. I could always shoot long distance. Oh, I've done that throughout my life. I deer hunted and other things, and I think the longest shot I've ever taken is 800 yards hitting the target. The bottom line is this. If you are off just a fraction... Mm-hmm back at where you're pulling the trigger, at 800 yards, you will be off two or three feet out there on the target. I think what happens to us, being in the present, we're distracted from Jesus just a little bit, just a tiny bit off the mark, not realizing where it ultimately leads us. And that's why I think we need more and more leaders who are, are loving and firm, but will insist upon the centrality of Jesus and surrendering to him above everything else. And I would encourage our readers to get a good book on church history and read about what happened in the first 325 years of Christianity and how the Arianism heresy of Jehovah's Witnesses today that Jesus is not God, he's a super creature, but he's not God, and how they had to have the Council of Nicaea in 325 and say, yes, he's fully God and fully man. You know, if you don't know the history of this stuff, you'll repeat it. And it's good to get a good church. uh, One, uh, a good book is by Williston Walker, A History of the Christian Church. Or there's one by, what, Gonzalez that's also supposed to be very good. But just go to a good Mm -hmm. Christian bookstore and get a one-volume thick dictionary uh, uh, book on the history of the Christian church because we don't need to repeat mistakes. Uh, 
Yeah, and Good I on. would add to that too, Tom. Yeah, that's great. I, another book that I found to be really helpful is by Bruce Shelley um, called the, the History of the Church in Plain Language or Church mm-hmm. History in Good. Plain Language. Yeah. And it's a great book. And then your, your, your reference, uh, Justo Gonzalez, he had a, it's a two-part um, church history from all the way uh, from the very beginning, from Pentecost to, to, to current day. And uh, it's ex- excellent. And I think, you know, I think what, what this is also Paul is getting at here, I mean, and what we're, we're talking about the greatest heresy is really that we become God or we become like God. But the, 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 the basis of the very good news is that God comes to live inside of us, right? Mm-hmm. Christ, Christ in you, Paul says in Kosh at the end of chapter one, the hope of glory. So that's our hope is that God is God is with us and He's in us, um, and and I think to the degree that we try to subjugate that and say no that I become God, <laughs> that's the that's the good of the gospel. Um, that's actually the greatest evil of the gospel is to think that we become God. Yeah, what I love about that idea too of going back into those first few hundred years, Tom and uh, and, and Justin is, you, you do see with clarity some so many of the same ways that people are thinking about things today. And I remember how riveting it was when I would sit in a seminary history class, and that probably sounds terribly boring. But you know, I had a prof. I think he was. I mean, he was so he might have actually been in the first century church. He was so old, and and uh, and yet it was just a phenomenal three or four hours yeah. as they talked about the issues that the church faced. And I think what I came away from with that uh, more than anything else was that you see with greater clarity looking backwards like who this beautiful Jesus is and what those followers were up to back in that time and it helps you see with greater clarity in today's world than who this Jesus is and you you can kind of begin to parse out and, and pull apart a little bit of how maybe in the same way that outside cultural influences in those first few centuries influence them and how they thought about Jesus? Well, well, so does the United States of America influence us in some ways that may be helpful, but also kind of subtly bleed into things. And, and that Oprah example is a great one. I mean, she, she is uh, by far, obviously, the most popular and probably trusted voice among all Americans. And, and I'm not saying that we're sitting here on the show advocating for Oprah. I'm just saying if you picked one person in the United States that the most people in the United States would trust, I don't think about questions. It's close. It's Oprah Winfrey, and and it's all the people that the then she brings on her O channel, and and all of what she writes about, and all of what she does, and uh, she certainly has done some good in the world. There, there's no question about that. But the subtleties of what she's offering sound really great. They're very angel of light like, and yet they they lead to pathways of destruction and death. And that really isn't a lot different than the first uh, and, and second, third century church. So when you look backwards, you can see with greater clarity what's going on today as well. And you know, Peter, the one person now who might be more popular than Oprah is Ellen. And if yeah, you, if, if you watch, made a lot of if you watch her show, she so kindly lovingly promotes her lesbian marriage and just sure. uh, she'll have lesbian and homosexual guests. I mean, she just sells it nonstop and she's so popular. Yep. All right. We're going to take a little break because uh, the next topic we're going to talk about already has steam coming out of Tom Brock's ears. <laughs> oh, I got mad this morning. Really? This, oh, yeah. is, this is big. Well, it's so funny because Peter has sent me the same uh, topic this morning okay. and you guys weren't talking to each other and both uh, of you sent me this did story he? yeah well, there both you of go. you were on okay so y- your minds think alike we'll be right back with guy talk if <laughs> you have a question mind. or an issue or a uh, comment whatever whatever it is just let me know 
doing guide talk which is what we do on thursdays i'm always glad to have the power panel here pastors tom brock tom Parrish, justin jepson and dr peter kapsner is the team the squad everybody's in fine form tonight uh so today so thank you so much for being here uh, a couple uh, of you sent me this article minneapolis park board wants to allow toplessness in city parks tom brock i think i'll let you go first yeah i woke up this morning and read the news and just to give people background, wherever you are in the country listening to this, back in March, the mayor of Minneapolis proclaimed Abortion Provider Appreciation Day. And then the city council of St. Paul next door unanimously did the same thing. Fast forward to the end of May, and the mayor of Minneapolis decides not to send in protection for the police, and he lets them burn down the precinct building because, quote, people are more important than bricks or mortar. Yesterday, the police had a, 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 a hearing where they talked about with tears how abandoned they felt by their city leadership. All right, fast forward to this morning. So now the Minneapolis Park Board wants to make it legal for women to be topless in our city parks. Surprise to me and almost everybody, did you know that it's already legal in Minneapolis for a woman to walk down the street or ride a bicycle topless? I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. But now they're trying to make that legal in parks. So when you take your kid to the park, they can see uh, naked women women who are naked from the waist up. Mm -hmm. And this just, I mean, what... What else is going to, what is our liberal, crazy Minneapolis city going to do next? Now, they approved it, but there has to be a hearing in August, and then uh, they'll vote again. So I just want to urge our listeners, pray, please pray. If you would, go to my Facebook page, Pastor Tom Brock. I've got an article on this. Just Google in, or however you do Facebook, Pastor Tom Brock. You'll read all the specifics, but... This is, I, I feel like moving. I mean, I, I have to live here because I think the Lord wants me here. But Minneapolis is just a difficult place to live. We've gone crazy. Now we're going to uh, di- dismantle the police. I mean, what's next in this city? So there you yeah. go. Pray, yeah. everybody. No, I'm pray, with, pray, I'm pray. pray. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, so I sometimes uh, will look up into Canada, and you can find about 100 acres in Canada for about $13. Oh. And it, just, it, it makes me want to disappear up there. Oh. Yeah. At times, but but to your point, and it's it's, uh, it's something that I became aware of even related to that. If we if we think this potential ordinance and and law is is a bit crazy, one thing I I confess I didn't know about was and and the coronavirus has revealed it now is I didn't realize how many countries around the world have a, a legalized sex trade industry, including uh, Germany. Most recently, is where I was reading that the the sex workers is what they're referred to now it's it's not prostitution it's called sex workers and it's and it's a legalized trade that they're protesting in the streets of germany because they've not been allowed to to quote go back to work mm. and i just mm. i don't it's really hard to process all of that isn't it it's you know it goes back to something i think we've talked about a number of different times that 
something might seem shocking for a season, but as it sort of just becomes the normal way of life, we forget how shocking it once was. And and mm-hmm. I think there's so many things that qualify in that category. And what you've just delineated for Minneapolis in terms of this new law seems shocking. But uh, it, there's many countries in the world that are way further down sort of the celebration mm-hmm. of inappropriate sexuality that this could probably be tame by comparison when you just look at the, the two situations. And I think that's the scariest part about uh, enslavement to sin and enslavement to ways of life that are inconsistent with God's kingdom is how they just sort of become the assumed way of life. And mm-hmm. you, you no longer know that there's something different and more beautiful that's possible. And, you know, uh, we as Christians need to do something. And wh- how come the liberals are the very uh, vocal people? And where are the Christians t- standing up and saying enough? And, I, you know, and sometimes you hear somebody say, well, this, this is all prophesied. It's the end times. You can't stop it. Well, yeah, that doesn't mean you sit back and do absolutely nothing. I called the, the, Minneapolis, uh, the Minneapolis, uh, Park and Recreation Board three times today to leave a message. And the mailbox is full. Well, let's make sure we keep it full. And I just encourage people, <laughs> whatever, wherever you are at in the country, when this kind of thing happens, don't say to yourself, well, it won't do any good to make a phone call or show up at the hearing in, in August. Well, no, do something. Even if you lose, we're going to be held accountable by the Lord for how we live our lives. But the problem is, Tom, most Christian pastors don't even believe that anymore mm-hmm. because we yeah. have been in the West so overgraced. Everything's grace. Yeah. It's just grace, grace, grace to the point where there's no aggressiveness. There's no speaking out. There's no standing up for the truth. There is no militancy in the biblical sense of the word that's gone. You think about how we have for over 40 years now taken the most sacred treasure in our world, a baby in a womb, and we've been killing them at an enormous rate, calling it choice. And it's become commonplace. Even among many churches and church leaders, it's commonplace. Why do we not expect what you're talking about with the city going on right now? And we're going to see a lot more. I just saw a conference on pedophilia. And it was a pro-conference, and the speaker's a woman saying, well, there are just some of us that are built that way, and it's okay so long as it's done lovingly. Yeah, it's called grace abuse. And Tom, the worst grace abuse I've ever heard, years ago I heard that the Lutheran hospital in Portland, Oregon was performing abortions. I wrote the Lutheran bishop in Portland. I said, how can Christ Hospital or or the Lutheran hospital, how can they perform abortions at a Christian hospital. And the the Lutheran bishop wrote back, Tom, we can do this because the Lutheran church believes in the grace of God. Yeah, uh, we, we We're saved by grace, which I agree with 100%. Yep. Therefore, let's kill babies. And that's our justification. And Paul the Apostle wrote Romans 6, shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? His answer was, may it never be. Grace moves us to obey God, not spit in his face. Yep. And kill babies. Yeah. And I, gosh, you know, as I'm just, I'm hearing this too, I think it's, you know, I'm, uh, if there's maybe a listener out there who's like me, I mean, it's just so easy to become paralyzed, you know, and to think through what, 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 what do I do? And, and I think it, you're absolutely right. It, it is a both and, you know, um, in terms of the way that we pray, um, but then also making a phone call and giving feet and a, and a tangible expression to our prayers. But, you know, to be honest, what's what just is, is filling my heart as I've been reflecting on just, I mean, again, it just, 
layer of crazy upon crazy, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I kind of want to do the monastic, the monastic approach, right? <laughs> that, which, by the way, that that happened, right? That there was a group of Christians, and back in after you know Emperor Constantine basically legalized Christianity, and it was become so convoluted that we're going to go do our own thing out in the, you know, and there was there was good things that came out of that, but as 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 much as Canada or even you know somewhere sounds appealing to me. I think I think one of the first places to start that does lead to a tangible action that truly is spirit led and sustained is to is to recover and learn the language of prayer of lament. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think I think of the prophet of Jeremiah. You know, the lamenting the, the the evil and woe to you who calls good evil and evil good. And like I don't know, maybe even just to sit with this for a few moments and and lament. And recognize the anger that comes, recognize the confusion that comes, recognize the pain and the frustration and say, okay, God, what what am I to do with this? And then I would encourage, just as we're doing here now, I mean, we're talking about it in community, gather together in community. I think anytime we try to act in isolation, um, we're going to burn out really quick. And, you know, Justin, this morning, what you just said exactly happened. I got so upset, I just had to get on my knees and talk yeah. and talk and yeah. talk to God about this. God, what do you want me to do? And just, but I, I, I prayed for the salvation of the board yeah. um, member that's pushing this crud. I prayed for the lady mm-hmm. bicycling around uh, topless in Minneapolis to make her point. I mean, ah, mm-hmm. oh, we got to co- coat this with prayer. And then the Lord opens mm-hmm. doors. If we just run off and do it, it's mm-hmm. just going to be in the flesh. George but, Barna had an interesting right. survey several years ago. What he found out was that. 70 to 75% of the pastors really identified themselves as teachers of the word or shepherds. And he said less than 5% were ever identified as leaders of the word. What are we lacking today in Christianity? Leaders who are willing to stand up, pay the price, say no to what's going on in the culture. And if I hear one more Christian say something uh, that the culture doesn't like and then come out and apologize later for it, you know, I'm going to go out of my mind. Mm -hmm. If we believe this is what (laughs) Jesus said, then we better stand for it. But we're not doing that. And really, the ultimate one that we're letting down is Jesus himself. Yeah. And when judgment comes, guess where it's going to start? It's going to start with us. That's what First Peter uh-huh. says. Yeah. I guess what I'm hearing you guys is there's always a lot of different responses that Christians can have. And so at this point, it seems like, Justin, you need to lament. Tom, uh, Brock, you need to protest. <laughs> Parish, you, need to, you need to teach. And, I, and I'm going 13 acres monastic in Canada. So I Go, man. No, no, that would be, uh, Peter, I want your route. I don't want to do any more of this. I can, I can lament from Canada with you, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. The, when, you know, Martin Luther, I'm a Lutheran. Luther was against monasteries. Because he didn't think Christians should be off on a hill somewhere praying all day. He thought the Christians should be right down in the culture, spreading the gospel and standing for Christ. And much as I partly want to leave the liberal state of Minnesota, I can't do that until the Lord allows me to. And that might never be until heaven. So, All right, let me take a little break. When we come back, we're going to address the cancel culture movement. What? And how should Christians uh, be acting on all of this? That's coming up next on Guy Talk. Let me know if you have a comment, a question, a concern. 877-933-2484. Be right back.
program, Guide Talk, is happening, which means let us know what you would like us to discuss or chew on. 877-933-2484. My wingman, Terry, said, I have to comment, we have to wear a mask, but women can go topless. There you go. <laughs> well said. <laughs> All right. Uh, I want to change topics now and go to uh, the, the cancel culture and how does Christianity address this. Let me just uh, pick up on a couple of things here. You, you say one thing incorrectly, you're going to lose your job. And their, you know, cancel culture is just shuts people down based on something they might have said. Here's a guy, communications director of Boeing, was forced to abruptly resign because someone complained about an article he wrote in 1988 uh-huh. arguing against women serving in combat. Boom, uh-huh. gone. Uh-huh. How about this one? J.K. Rowling, the uh, creator of Harry Potter, is being attacked by cancel culture for her pointing out the obvious men do not menstruate. Mm-hmm. Even if a man becomes a transgendered uh, female, he will still not menstruate. Mm-hmm. Off with her head. Yes. Hmm. Can we just say this and not be picketed next week? A man cannot become a woman. A woman cannot become a man because you'll still have your original chromosomes. Right. It can't be done. Right. So, but the culture you. wants to believe and now that. Now I because... just lost my job. No, you, we'll, we'll let you keep it, Tom. <laughs> Bottom line is. The more you want to remove Jesus from this culture and vestiges of Christianity, which gave us the Ten Commandments, which gave us, and in Judaism, the Ten Commandments gave us the, you know, uh, do unto others or to have them do unto you. And all that came with that. And the, the rights of women, which the New Testament is pretty big on if people really look at it. The problem is we don't want that in our culture anymore. I was reading in Judges 25, and it says there was, when there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's where we're at today. We want to do our own thing. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. And I really personally think we ought to get rid of Twitter. I think Twitter is an abomination because you can go and attack people anonymously through Twitter. And that's wrong. Do you know who Guts and Borglum is? Oh, yes. Who was he, Tom? He uh, did the uh, Mount Rushmore. Yes. He was the carver. And his granddaughter, or is it his great-granddaughter, wrote an article for, I believe, the New York Times saying, we need to take down Mount Rushmore. Oh my! First of all, it's not you know two of the two of the presidents were slave owners, Jefferson and Washington. The 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 thing needs needs to come down according to Gutson Borglum's granddaughter or great granddaughter. And you know it's it was originally Indian land. So good night. What's next? Well, we've forgotten what the scriptures say. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory yeah. of God. Let's get rid of Lincoln <laughs> and Teddy Roosevelt. Well, yeah, the culture today wants to say, no, 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 you've sinned more than I have, <laughs> and therefore you're the problem. Yeah. And that's the danger. The 1619 yeah. Project, yeah. which I'm really upset about, it's in, I mean, 3,500 schools talking about original sin started in 1619 with slavery, and America has been nothing but a, a sinful nation ever since. Well, yeah, we've had sins, but we've also been the most free nation on the face of the earth, and these imperfect men and women did something that could only have been done by the hand of God. Dr. Walter uh-huh. Williams, a columnist and professor at George Mason University, said in an interview that liberty is predicated on courage, even being courageous enough to, possi- to be possibly offended. Mm. Yeah, I, it just, you know, it is, it is disturbing at so many levels, isn't it? Uh, just the idea that you might be offended. I mean, when, when did we lose track? of the just just the battle for ideas and and letting the ideas themselves and the merits or the lack of merits kind of win the day and and 
and argue thoughtfully back and forth about those merits. But it, it sort of speaks of power to some extent and probably actually to a large extent. And, and it's one of those things, too, where I, I watched pretty carefully a couple of years ago when um, one side of the political aisle or one side of sort of the culture began to demonize the other. And, and both sides have done it. Uh, conservatives have to liberals and liberals have to conservatives. And and by demonize, I mean that they went away from the tug of war of ideas about what might create the best form of society. They, they went away from debating the merits of those things and they moralized the merits of those things. And, and there are many things that we should moralize, uh, things like abortion and sexuality. Some of the things that we're talking about clearly fall into that moral category. But there's many other things that are simply the exchange of ideas. But once you have completely categorized the other side is evil. Well, nobody wants to debate with evil. Nobody should have dialogue with evil. There shouldn't be conversations with evil. You should drive evil out. And uh, there's no question that in the current situation, uh, more of people on the left, it seems, and in the cancel culture, have really deemed the, the history of the United States as evil, have deemed the people who have advocated for the history of the United States as evil. And uh, in so doing, there's no reason to have dialogue with it. You have to drive it out on every level. And, uh, and heaven forbid you'd be offended by a competing idea. One of the reasons why you're offended by it is because it would force you to rethink your existing position and you might have to change things. And so then you go ahead and just try to drive it out and shout it down instead. So we really are, I think, in a time where the moralization of all ideas has become either good or evil as opposed to just talking about some of the ideas and, and recognizing then the morality that, that's important among some of them as well. But uh, if we can't converse with one another, it doesn't you either have a cold civil war like we do right now or you, you end up in a hot civil war at the end of the day. Yeah, I I, uh, I was actually in the break here when he said this that we're going to be talking about. I had uh, came across an article and I had to look it up. But I kind of cheated a little bit, but it was uh, this idea was titled kind of provocatively of that the Christians Christianity have has perfected the cancel culture and now it's coming back for them. Huh. And you know and I think uh you know it, it lists on a bunch of a bunch of different examples that when it seems like, you know, as soon as someone maybe sniffs out something that someone does or someone says, or maybe one corporation doesn't quite line up morally with our Christian values, then we're gonna boycott them and we're gonna can you know, that idea that completely cancel them out or we're gonna had launch a campaign against them. And I, I really think that, you know, I think if we're honest, a, a lot of the, a, a lot of the fighting that's happened or the attack against Christianity has come from friendly fire, so to speak, in the way that the world has watched Christians attack one another. And I mean, I think we do absolutely, as we've been talking about, we need to take a stand for, um, for biblical morality. Um, and we do need to take a stand for the truth and we can't, um, cheapen grace by, you know, giving a license to do whatever we want, and we can slap God's favor and blessing upon it. Um, but I do think we got to really, you know, realize that there really is no cancel culture within the kingdom of God, you know, that we really need to leave space for a conversation to engage in civility. I mean, I, I even look at the way that the evangelical world canceled or even kind of farewelled Rob Bell. Now, do I agree with what, what he stands for and some of the theological conclusions that he's arrived at, I, I do not at all. But I also don't agree with the way that he was treated and shamed and maligned and slandered. Um, and I know there was others that tried to have loving, uh, respectful, honoring conversations with him. 
Um, but of course, that's not what gets highlighted, you know, in the media. And so um, I think we really got to be careful, you know, this, this whole idea of cancel culture, you know, and the fact that it's not new in the history of Christianity. I mean, we have excommunication, you know, maybe it maybe a and, and there's different forms of that that took place as well. But I think I think we really got to take a maybe a look inward within our own tribe, so to speak, and um, and recognize the grace we've received and truly walk out in the context of grace. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And your Rob Bell example is such a good one, Justin, is that uh, I obviously do not agree at all with this premise of love wins and universalism and then even sort of where he's gone from there. But in, in doing so, you have sort of two options to deal with it. One, you have what you just described as kind of this cancel culture farewell uh, idea uh, of what he had to say. But the, I think the better idea and something that has really become lost, uh, I would say, in our, oh, there, there's so many places we could go with this, but with the, the internet has made us dumber as a human race. There's no question about it in terms of our ability to think through things. And, and I include myself in that. I, I certainly have seen it in my students' papers over the past uh, 10, 12 years or so, is that our inability to critically think through somebody else's position and then be able to win on the strength of the idea or the merits. I would have much rather have seen a competing set of, of beliefs set forth that were scripturally based to combat that which Rob Bell was advocating for, uh, and therefore then deconstruct or strip bare his ideas, as opposed to just tweeting out, farewell, Rob Bell. In, in doing that, that doesn't you haven't deconstructed the idea. In some ways, you've even empowered the idea for people who maybe are a bit against the church, and they say, well, there is another example of the church just being uh, whatever they want to, you know, you fill in the blank. But if somebody had come along, and, and maybe some people have done it, but it just doesn't get the traction, but but if you could deconstruct the idea and, and that he's putting forth and reconstruct uh, the vision of the kingdom that Jesus is inviting us into, then his idea doesn't have any power anymore. When, once you deconstruct an idea, it's done. But if you try to cancel the idea, it just gets squashed down and, and then it squirts out in a different direction and and, uh, and it can gain even that much more traction. Back in high school, I remember one of the bullies, um, he was really good at making life miserable for those younger and smaller than him. And he was the kind, he would come up to you and he'd say, Tom, my best friend just told me that you said my girlfriend Sherry's ugly. Well, whatever way you answer, he's going to say, well, you're saying my friend is lying. You're calling him a liar. Or he was right and you did call her. In other words, he set up the argument so that you would lose no matter what you did. Mm -hmm. There's the problem we're in today with cancel culture. Cancel culture is not open to a dialogue. And there have been times Christianity has been open to a dialogue and they've been wrong. But I'm amazed at how many people are really quick to throw everything back on the bad things in Christianity after 2,000 years. And, yes, we've made mistakes. But we also have a whole history of people repenting, of people yeah. owning their mistakes, of people coming forth and saying, I was wrong mm -hmm. about this. And I've often challenged congregations when I go speak. I said, in your entire time of going to church, how many times has a leader in your church got up before the church and said, I sinned against you and against the Lord for what I said and did. Please forgive me. That ought to be normal. We audit, we're just human beings. The point is we need to learn to listen and give people, and the cancel culture, here's what cancel culture is going to do. When it's done feeding on the rest of us, it will feed on itself and yep. eventually destroy itself. Instead, we need to take the time to sit and listen. And when I learned to do that as a pastor, I ran into issues in people's lives they had never told anybody before. I ran into things that they didn't know who to talk to. It all comes down to are willing to take the time to really listen 
and then come back with the truth, but do it in a way that invites people yes. into the truth rather than clobbering we, with it. We, ha- we have to verbally confront the kind of false teaching that Rob Bell was promoting, that there is no hell, everybody goes to heaven, and then Oprah gave him his own TV show. Do you remember that? Yeah. Um, but we need to do it lovingly and humbly, but we have to do it. And, you know, because I have been vocal throughout my pastorate of getting to the microphone when I used to be in the ELCA Liberal Lutheran Church, well, Pastor Brock here, you know, how, why aren't you p- privately going to these people? Well, these people are publicly teaching in our seminaries. They're publicly writing books. And Matthew uh, 18, about going to a brother privately, is when he's committing private sin. But Galatians 2, the Apostle Paul confronted Peter to his face because he publicly was denying the gospel by the way he was treating the Gentiles. And and Paul says, I confronted him to his face. He did it publicly. I think, like, when Rob Bell writes these awful books, we have the right to publicly, humbly, lovingly, but publicly say, this is wrong. And uh, we've got to do it. And uh, if we don't, people will be led astray. Nice work, gentlemen. I'm going to go to break right now, but one of my uh, very smart listeners said, his name is Guy, he said, I... I think the phrase, you can't fight City Hall, was thought up by those running City Hall (laughs) who hoped the people would give up without a fight. Martin Luther King, William Wilberforce, and others demonstrated that the people can successfully and peacefully fight the law of the land. Amen. Amen. Yeah. All right. You listen to the guy talk, which means let me know if you've got a question or a comment. Uh, 877-933-2488. Eight four. You know I'd love to hear from you. We'll bring your question or comment up on the air, and you'll be a celebrity. Be right back. which means let me know if you've got a question or a concern. Power panel is Pastor Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, Justin Jepson, and Peter Kapsner. Gentlemen, you guys are all doing a great job today. So uh, here's something uh, 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 Tom Parrish brought up. Uh, your local church is having a hard time adapting to the COVID-19 virus. So let's talk about what it would be like if there was intentional persecution going yeah, on. That's, I've been working at this for a long time. We have spent 240 years in America being accepted. Christianity. We've not thought about persecution. Things have gone extremely well. COVID-19 is the first time churches kind of lost their base. People coming together. Uh, Many churches, as many churches there are that are doing YouTube and on the air and that now, there are just as many that aren't doing anything. And a lot of people, older people especially, are being isolated, left alone. And that's a tough place for people to be. Now, take that one step further. What happens if such as in Nazi Germany or in some other places or China, we show up and there's a sign on the door that says this building is closed. Most churches are not organized to even have any idea what to do with that because if you don't plan ahead of time, you're not going to be able to do it once it's happened. And so I've been trying to teach churches that right now they should be teaching or setting apart lay leaders who can run home churches, train them in what happens in a home church, teach them how to prepare and share the word, and then segment the congregation so that if it came 
and suddenly you walk through the church and the door is closed. You know the following Sunday, I'm going to Bill's house because Bill is my home pastor, and the church is going to be there. That's what China's done. That's what a lot of places have done, and it's worked extremely well. We are nowhere prepared for that, but we better get prepared. Tom, I think uh, that's just such an important word <clears throat> that you had to say about that. And I'll say to my dying breath that the the church is uh, is not the building, it's not the steeple, it's not the sign, it's not the organ, it's not the the organization of it. That that simply is a is a a way in which the church actually gathers. The church in the in the New Testament. Uh, is the ecclesia? It's the people of God who are yes. following Jesus uh, by the lead of the Spirit, and in so doing, the way you gather is going to change according to your social circumstances. But but for people who might be understandably concerned that maybe church buildings are going to lose their tax benefits, and and we might not have the ability to organize in the way that we do, and and I think we're still a ways away from that. But I think that kind of stuff can happen pretty quickly too. And for people who say, well, that's the end of the church. Well, no, it's not. It's it's simply the end. Of of maybe the way the church has historically gathered. And we've gotten so used to making a synonym out of building institution sign organization with the people who are following Jesus by the lead of the Spirit. And and in, in, in doing so, um, I know for us, we've gone through seasons as a family where we absolutely have met in home church, and, and we've been associated always with local churches as well, more of the organizational part of it. But we've had sweet times with other families and uh, and older, younger, mixed generation, and uh, and there can be some teaching, some singing. We always are uh, make sure that we take communion and some of those things. They're actually really powerful ways to gather. And and unlike the persecution in the Roman Empire, where Christians were so concentrated geographically into one or two spaces, so the pre- persecution could be so. Uh, extreme in those circumstances, we still are a relatively uh, sparsely populated country. There's a lot of density in cities, of course, but there, even if we have to change the way we gather, uh, it, whether it's virtually or uh, there's so much room and space, it would be really hard to stamp out the meeting of Christians, even if there's a stamping out of the way in which Christians have met historically. So uh, yes, I guess be concerned about the institutional ways in which we gather uh, on some level. But I think, Tom, to your point, now would be an outstanding opportunity to really equip and train the saints for ministry, as the scriptures talk about, and not just leave the ministry to the professional few who have fancy letters after their name. It's uh, oh, yeah. mi- Ministry is always being led by the Spirit, the people who are faithfully equipping themselves and others, and uh, and you can be empowered by that same Spirit to, uh, to equip others, whether or not you, you've been to seminary or have, you know, doctorate letters and stuff, and, and I'm glad for those things, but there isn't, uh, there isn't any reason why somebody can't be equipped to lead people in alternative ways. For those that are interested, and you can get it through Bill, I'll give it to him, but I've created an entire outline, several pages on what churches ought to be doing and training and the scriptures and how to get ready. Not that it's going to come. I pray it doesn't come. But if it does, I want to be ready. And so to teach churches how to prepare for persecution, and I think it will open up a door for how to be more conscientious about caring for one another now. Yeah, Yeah, love it. Yeah, I I think... I think both of those points are are so vital, especially for the season that we're in right now. Because I mean, if you look at just the reality, is that I mean, the the church in North America is the only one of the only areas in the world where the church isn't growing. I mean, some of the stats are startling. Of there's 1,500 pastors that leave the church every single month in America. That yeah. most of which wow. never return back to ministry. There's more churches that are closing their doors and opening. So if you look at the trajectory in terms of the institutionalized church. In North America, um, we're we're waning, you know, and 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 uh, decreasing. But if you look at some of the areas in the church that are the most hostile 
to Christianity and where some of the most intense persecution is is dwelling, that's where the church seems to be thriving. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I, I uh, I've been really influenced by uh, a ministry called the Timothy Initiative, and uh, spent some time, you know, working uh, with and kind of alongside them when I was a missions pastor. And the, for three hundred dollars, you can plant a church. Yes. And uh, you say, what? How is that even possible? For three hundred dollars, it's the cost to train a local indigenous Christian who is a disciple and has become a disciple maker to plant a church and brings them through a 13-month curriculum that's basically uh, a seminary education that's condensed into the, into a shorter period of time. And in order to graduate, they need to plant a church. And many of the graduates don't make it to graduation day because they are they're persecuted at points sometimes even to death. But if you look at the impact that a ministry like that is having, they 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 have planted over a hundred thousand churches. Yeah. Wow! In, and in, in the last ten years, and and when we look at it, I think the reality is we are truly, I think, more concerned in North America about the bodies and buildings and budgets rather than truly getting back to the basics of what Jesus did in building disciples that build disciples that build disciples that has a, an exponential impact that, frankly, is unstoppable. And Justin, I asked a mission expert, um, I said, if I'm a single guy, if I want to leave my money to a group that really is using my money to, Faith s- radio. to save Faith people. Radio. Oops, oops. Faith Radio. <laughs> oh, nay. Anyway, I asked him, I said, where, where, for the best bang for the buck of reaching lost people for Christ overseas, where would you give your money? And he, one of the two or three answers was the Timothy Initiative. And if there's anybody out there sitting on a lot of money, you've been praying about, where do I send this? Faith Radio. Faith Radio. (laughs) Uh, The Pastor Study TV show, that'll work too. No, but That was one of the top three, right? (laughs) Everybody Google the Timothy Initiative if you want to give to a group that's reaching the loss for Christ. Ba-dum-bump. Now, Tom, isn't it true that you and I all work for nothing? Um... <laughs> I um next. All right, here's a question. Uh Carter asked, do the guys believe we have become a post Christian nation? And if so, what can we do about that condition? <laughs> hey Peter. Well that's a great question. Uh Justin, you wanna take that one? No, I, I hey, just yeah. pitched it to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, ironically, uh, Justin and I have just, uh, we, we're, we haven't gotten uh, public with it yet, but we've just launched a podcast uh, called Post-Christian Christian, and, and what it's based on for that. is the idea that, that Christendom, <laughs> meaning that Christianity as a social power, uh, is, is, is on the wane in our society, but there's no threat at all to Christianity uh, and God's kingdom. It just means that increasingly it's probably going to have to take a, a different form, and I think when you read most mm. sociological trends, and, and I was talking with a a pastor in Europe as well, basically saying, you know, you're still clinging to politics in America as a way to have social power as Christians. Uh, But at the end of the day, the demographics are significantly against you in the United States, and you're going to end up where we are and have been in Europe for quite some time, which means that Christianity doesn't have the same level of sort of political educational influence uh, in terms of the structures of society, but it still has tremendous influence in the families and people in society, independent of the structures of it. And and that that's a return back to pre-Augustinian Christianity. We, we talked at the start of the show about the early church and getting back in the early church. And before Augustine, the church really didn't have the educational political power 
that it enjoyed for the better part of 1,500 years. And uh, certainly in Western society, there, most people would suggest, and could be wrong, but most people would suggest that we're moving into a post-Christendom time. But uh, again, I'll just, well, Justin and I will talk about it uh, quite a bit, that that doesn't mean Christianity is under threat in any way, shape, or form, but it does mean the expression mm-hmm. of it in Christendom is under threat. And, and so uh, our means and our methods and our ways may need to change. So we're, we're very interested in equipping people for the future in, in a post-Christendom world. All right, I need to yeah. break in and say, gentlemen, this has been a very fast hour. And I don't know if, because I didn't talk to Peter or Justin, but today is uh, Guy Talk Extended Play, which means we're going to go another 30. But it all is available as to who's still on. But I know the pastors Tom and Tom are going to be available. And if you guys have extra time, we'd love for you to stick around. That's great. So we're going to take a yeah. little break. And then when we come back, we're going to have uh, another 30 minutes of Guy Talk because... I realized last uh, week we had so much to cover and we just started and then it was over, kind of like today. It's like the fastest hour in radio. (laughs) It is really fast. So I thought, well, let's just see what it's like if we extend 30. And that's kind of a little experiment. So that's uh, what we're going to do. We're going to extend Guy Talk for another 30 minutes. If you have a question or a comment, let me know what it is. 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.